American company looks to break China's virtual monopoly on the mining and processing of rare earth minerals. Hi everybody, I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The 17 minerals that are classified under the label rare earth are critical to a wide range of high-tech products, both for the consumer market and military use. Examples include electric cars, computers, and wind turbines. And while those minerals aren't literally rare from a global perspective, their production is currently limited largely to China. It wasn't always that way. From the 1950s to the 1990s, the U.S. dominated the global market for rare earths. Now comes MP Materials, a new company that has taken over the assets of a bankrupt miner of rare earth at Mountain Pass, California, and is ramping up production with hopes of creating a complete rare earth supply chain domestically. My guest is Jim Latinsky, CEO of MP Materials, who will tell us about the company's current operations and aspirations to break China's stranglehold on this essential raw material. So here is my conversation with Jim Latinsky. Jim Latinsky, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. It's great to be here. Jim, you're out there with MP Materials in Mountain Pass, California. Are those the former assets of Molly Corp, which went bankrupt back in 2015? Yes, that is the former asset of Molly Corp. So how did you guys come to acquire it? Are you a brand new company or the same investors restructured? Or exactly how did you end up with this asset? Well, first and foremost, we have absolutely nothing to do with Molycorp. MP Materials is a brand new company. The way we come about it, it's actually a long saga. It probably would make for a fun podcast <laughs> in and of itself, Bob. But suffice to say, I'll give you the short version, which is we purchased the assets of Molycorp out of bankruptcy in 2017. At the time, they had eight employees. It was in care and maintenance, and they were actually on the precipice of losing the permit. There was not a single financial or strategic buyer who showed up to buy it because people thought that this site could not be restored and that even though it was the premier world-class rare earth asset, there was a perception that the Chinese controlled the supply chain and that we could never get it back. And so my team and I had a different view, went in and purchased the assets, and we've relaunched the site. We had eight employees, and we literally formed a company. We didn't even have an accounting system. I mean, it was literally a true startup with a distressed asset and have built it since. And now we have approximately 265 employees. We are profitable, and we are represent 15% of the global rare earth content. So I think by any measure, we, it's been an extraordinary success and a, turn, and a great turnaround. But we think we're just getting started. I'm sure you'll ask me a lot of questions about it. We're in the process of uh, taking the company public via SPAC. That ticker is FVAC. And then when that deal closes, anyone who owns those shares, it will become MP on the NYSE. The ticker now is FVAC, but we'll shortly become MP. And we'll have a lot of cash and we'll be off to the races to continue downstream fulfilling our mission to restore the full rare supply chain to the United States. 
Okay, I do want to talk more about what exactly is going on there, but I, I think it's more than a perception, is it not, that the Chinese do dominate the rare earth supply chain around the world. The lion's share of rare earth materials still does come from China. Oh, without a doubt. As I said, we represent now 15% of the global industry, but the Chinese mm -hmm. sphere of influence is the rest. Yeah. Uh, there's one site in Malaysia that's got some significant challenges, and then other than that, it's all inside China. So okay. absolutely, they dominate the supply chain. With regard to your operation right now, what is going on there in terms of level of production? You say you've already got 15%. It sounds like you're kind of up and running to a pretty great degree. Is it essentially at this point a mining operation? And how much or what percent of the potential of the site is, is actually up and running at the moment? With rare earths, there's often a little bit misunderstood exactly how the industry works in the sense that rare earths are not typically just mining. So the mining part is very, very easy on a relative basis, actually. There's an expression you probably heard, rare earths are not rare. They're ubiquitous. Yes. If you have a backyard with rocks, you probably have rare earths. What is extremely rare is a high enough concentration to efficiently and or profitably process them and turn them into separated rare earths from the rock because it's extremely difficult to separate rare earths from the rest of the rock or the rest of material. And so at Mountain Pass, we have an approximate 8% rare earth ore body, Bob. So that means that if you take the rock out of the ground, on average, I mean, obviously it varies completely, but on average, it's about 8% of that is rare earth, and then the rest is waste. You know, your mm -hmm. backyard may have 0.01%, but getting that 8% to separated rare earths really requires a chemical process. It's a very hard process. In historical terms, and certainly in China, it had been very environmentally unfriendly. At our site, we've got nearly $2 billion of invested capital in what is essentially a large chemical plant. For those who are interested, they can see it on our website. You can kind of see the scale of the facility. But it really is Think of it as closer to a chemical company than mm -hmm. just a mine. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but my perception of this business is that there are essentially four steps involved here. Mining, processing, metals and alloy production, and then finally magnet manufacturing. Am I right about that? And if so, how much of that are you doing? Yeah, that's exactly it. So right now we are mining and processing, and we make a rare earth concentrated product, which is essentially, think of it as a big bag of sand that is 60% rare earth as opposed to the 8% rock. And just getting from that 8% to 60% is quite an extensive process. We have all the assets on site for separation, which means taking that 60% down to the individual rare earths. And we are in the process of optimizing that. We're adding a couple things. We can certainly get into that. And by 2022, we will be making those separated rare earths which then those separated rare earths get metallized, as you said, and then ultimately turned into magnets. At this moment, we're producing the concentrate. Are you still having to send the concentrate to China for separation and processing? Yes, there's no other refining capability in the world. Mm -hmm. So that's the okay. only place that would buy it. But your target is to be able to do that on site or domestically within, I'm sorry, again, how long? Yeah, year and change. Let's be very clear. The mission of our company is to restore the full rare earth supply chain to the United States of America. Mm -hmm. um, that's our mission. And we are spending our profits and bringing on significant resources to do so to make sure that we have this capability here in the United States. And that's what we're focused on every day. As part of this transaction I mentioned earlier, 
when we close, we'll have approximately $500 million of cash on the balance sheet, and we'll have a profitable business that just doing the next stage will give us a significant uplift in cash flow. We also, as part of the deal, have the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Dick Myers, as well as the general counsel of Lockheed Martin are joining the board of our company, among some others. So mm-hmm. we are gathering the economic resources and the human talent to really make this effort a success. Okay, what is the timetable for those last two steps? And do you intend to do those as well, metals and alloy production, and then finally magnet manufacturing? So we absolutely do. What we've stated is that we expect that to be a 2025-plus event. So uh-huh. this will be a multiple-year process. That's not far that far away for a thing of this kind. I mean, I've heard it's pretty typical even just to get a mine up and running to full production can take upwards of five years. And you're saying five years for the whole thing. That's pretty good. Well, we're not wasting time. We're working <laughs> methodically and swiftly. This is really important stuff, right, for all of us. And so we are working as maniacally as we possibly can to get this done quickly. Uh-huh. I guess maniacally might not be the perfect word. We're working as aggressively and intensely as we possibly can to get this done. And you really actually, by 2025, you will have a, a magnet manufacturing facility right there on site? Or will that be somewhere else, lo- located somewhere well, else? Same we place. We said that our solution will be a 2025-plus event. And as far as where the magnet facility would be, and we haven't stated, we have a team of people working on it. And, and we just want to be very clear, Bob, that the really important thing with this is, and particularly given the, the last three years, having taken this from a standstill to the tremendous success that we've achieved so far, you really have to be focused on execution. This is challenging stuff. We're essentially taking it on, on a state-sponsored industry. Sort of us, we're 260 Americans wearing the flag on our sleeve, taking on what is essentially Chinese industry, right? China's mm-hmm. back industry. And so this takes a lot of painstaking effort and we need to execute. So we're going to take each step at a time. The next step is going from this concentrate to separated products. But then you're right after that. And, and while we're working on that, we'll certainly be working on those next steps. Why do you think it came to this state of affairs in the first place? Why did we let China take over the rare earth supply chain? As my understanding is that, that years ago, the United States did have a pretty strong presence in that why did we let China take it over? You're absolutely correct, Bob. Mountain Pass, the site that we're now talking about, was the leader in the rare earth space from the 50s to the 90s. There's a famous Deng Xiaoping quote, former leader of China, who said, the Mideast has oil, China has rare earths. And the Chinese have very intelligently over the last 30 years recognized that this industry, this is a critical material for the downstream of trillions of dollars of GDP of advanced technologies, motion technologies in this case, electric vehicles, wind turbines, drones, robots, 5G applications, and other defense technologies like the railgun and F-35s. And they've recognized that this is a strategic resource, and they've been long-term focused about it and have, starting in the 90s, via a combination of a subsidized cost of capital and extremely lax environmental standards, methodically took over the industry. Those things in China still exist, however. What is stopping China? If you come, if you start ramping up production in rare earth, as you plan to do, and you begin making more of a splash in that industry, 
What's stopping China from just further pouring subsidies into their own production, cutting the price of their own to make it more competitive on a worldwide basis, shutting off exports to the United States in retaliation for either that or any other perceived trade dispute that China's having with the United States? It seems to me that China still has a couple of cards to play if they perceive that a domestic operation here in the U.S. is starting to get successful. I guess you could call it good news for MP, but bad news for all of us in the country, and so certainly bad news overall, is that at this point, the rare earth space is small potatoes compared to a much larger supply chain concern, which is that they've already moved downstream, right? Think about how Tesla is building or built an auto factory in China, and what's going on all around it are Chinese electric vehicle makers, right? There's You can just look at, frankly, look at some of the are stock exchanges, and there are a lot of Chinese companies that are public. And so they've already moved downstream. And so I often get asked, what happens if the Chinese threaten to cut off supply the way that they did in 2010? And what I say is actually, this next cycle coming is actually not going to be a some kind of supply threat. It's actually a demand-driven challenge. And I don't think that you need to even assign any negative motives to the Chinese. They're, they're human beings like us. They want to feed their people and have employment. And they're after the GDP. They want to lead. They want to outcompete. And so what they've recognized is that there's trillions of dollars of downstream GDP. Just the auto supply chain alone, Bob, is the single largest employer in the United States of America, private employer, mm-hmm. 10 to 14 million jobs. And so the Chinese are after that. And so when I get asked, what if they threaten to cut off supply? My response is actually what they're already doing is a much smarter, more effective, scary for America strategic move, which is they've moved downstream. And so they're going to want to outcompete us in much higher value items. And so I don't think we're going to see some kind of rare earth cutoff because they can barely provide enough supply for their own industry that's now coming ahead. I think what you're going to see is that as we electrify the global economy, which is fake complete, I mean, you look at what China is doing on that front, what Europe is doing with zero carbon by 2050, Governor Newsom in California announced no gasoline-powered cars by 2035. The world is going to the electric vehicle, period, end of story. I think Morgan Stanley estimates there's $500 billion of investment coming in this space over the next five years. Regardless of one's view on oil or whether this is a good or a bad idea, it's happening. Mm -hmm. And so the trillions of dollars of GDP are at stake. I think the rare earth industry is just like a small sideshow. However, at MP Materials, I think we do actually serve a very important role, which is that we have this unique asset that can demonstrate that we really can restore the critical materials supply chain to the United States of America And it's our duty to continue to build this company, be a success, and show that we can have some of these kinds of businesses back over here again and to make sure that we can be the feedstock for our industry so that we don't have these materials, access to these materials, being a source of strategic edge for Chinese industry as they compete against our auto industry or, frankly, Germany's auto industry or others. As you also point out the importance of having domestic supply for defense purposes, national security and the like. Uh, By the way, Jim, uh, are all 17 minerals that have been identified as rare earth minerals, are they all at Mountain Pass? Not all of them, but many of them. Our business plan is focused. 90% of our revenue will be NDPR, and so that's neodymium, praseodymium. 
I don't know what that is. Okay, yeah, exactly. Those are two of them that often come together, and that is what goes into the magnets that we're talking about for all Mm. these items. This business is growing, though. As you point out, there'll probably be room for others as well. As my understanding is, there's also a mine at Round Top Mountain in West Texas right now. Uh, Any others around the country, or is that pretty much the only game in town so far domestically? There's no question that this industry is growing and that the demand is there. I would just tell your listeners, be extremely careful of pronouncements from other mines. Let me just give you a data point. For example, as you, as I mentioned to you earlier, our site is approximately an 8% ore grade. The round top deposit that you've referenced, I don't think that's ever actually accurately had an equivalent of like an SEC Guide 7 fairly audited report. Again, I'm just, I remember searching that one a little while back. and But their ore body is sub 1%. I think for your listeners, I would just be very careful about stock promotions or other people trying to raise capital for these things. To be clear, when you reference Roundtop, you're talking about a billion plus dollars that would need to be invested in something that even if they could get the capital, the cost of production would be so high that they just they would not be able to compete against Chinese industry. And mm-hmm. so I think as a country, we need to support the industry and make sure that we have, obviously, we cannot have just MP materials alone. We, we want to have a successful industry across the board, but we also want to make sure that we don't waste our money on stock promotions or other things that take advantage of this issue because we can't waste our resources. We really need to be focused. So I would, again, I would be careful of that one, but obviously we should be looking for many. Going forward with your five-year and beyond plan, what do you think is the total potential for domestic rare earth production in the United States in terms of the percentage of demand that can be ultimately fulfilled domestically? That's such a complex question because when you say percentage of demand, certainly it will depend on how demand evolves. There's no way I can answer that question. All I could really do is reference people to take a look at the scale of what we're producing we put out a lot of numbers on this. So again, if you're going to reference our website, feel free people to kind of go look at that and see the numbers that we put out. And, and certainly our NDPR output for our stage two target will be able to support millions of electric vehicles. Obviously, that therefore would then be many other use cases. I would also tell you that when it comes to defense technologies, you know, there's a lot of talk about supply. We can absolutely supply that. The defense technologies are typically low single-digit percentages of demand. And so Mm -hmm. that is not as much of a problem as may be perceived. The defense technologies, when you think of the scale of it, this is really a commercial national security issue. It is a national security issue, but I think at MP Materials, we feel good that we can take care of a lot of those needs. Jim Latinsky of MP Materials, I want to thank you so much for giving us a look at what you folks are up to out there at Mountain Pass and the promise of domestic rare earth production and a complete rare earth supply chain in this country in just a matter of years. Thank you so much, Jim, for being with us. Thank you. I really enjoyed it and happy to do it. That was my conversation with Jim Latinsky of MP Materials, talking about restoring a domestic supply chain for rare earth minerals. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. 
Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.